bless your name, the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, at this time, you can have a seat. And kids, you guys are dismissed to go to some kids' worship going on. We want to get them out of here before the disaster of of me happens, I think. We don't want them to see this. Protect the kids. Um, awesome. Um, so I don't know if you got the email or not, but um, as of this week, Joel um, announced that he is officially stepping down as pastor here, and I'm going to be taking over. So, um, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. I promise that's not true. If you... If you left, it'd be okay at that point. <laughs> I would judge you if you stayed. My name is Nathan. I'm the youth pastor here, um, and I have the opportunity to speak with you guys today. I'm really excited about it, really honored to be here. Um, this is an opportunity that I take very seriously. I've had the chance to speak at a couple different churches now, and every time I'm just I'm kind of blown away by the opportunity to stand before the body of Christ and before Christ himself, really, and, and to speak from his word. And so that's something that is, is a really cool chance for me, and so I hope you know that um, I take this opportunity very seriously, but the truth is I've only been here for a couple weeks now, and um, you don't really know what you're about to get. A lot of you guys are sitting very nervously. Um, my sound men have already threatened to mute me. Um, Nelson has a lightsaber back there that he might use. I'm not sure. Um, but you don't know me that well, so here's a couple things about me that um, maybe you need to know, maybe you don't know. Um, I'm from this area. I grew up in Kingsport. I graduated from Dobbins Bennett, Roll Tribe. And um, uh, my claim to fame, I've shared this a couple of times now, is uh, I played basketball there, and my senior year we set the state tournament record for the worst loss in state tournament history. Thank you. Always good. And so I am still in the record book, so that's my claim to fame. So I graduated from Davis Bennett, but I grew up mostly in the Colonial Heights area. Um, my dad, Tony Ellis, he's like he's famous around here. He uh, he was the minister of music and children and senior adults, and he was the outreach coordinator and the family pastor and the activities pastor and the puppet show guy. And he did he does literally basically everything at West Colonial Hills Baptist. Um, been there for a hundred years now, I think. So like I literally grew up in the church. Um, my dad was there all the time. He drug me with him to visitation. He drug me with him to nursing home visits my favorites, and hospital visits, and, and so I grew up in the church very much so. Um, I wanted to be a missionary when I was growing up. I wanted to go to Moody Bible Institute and be a missionary overseas, but God instead called me to the mission field of the United States. So I went to um, Indiana Wesleyan University. I got my degree in math education, and I've been a teacher at Sullivan North High School for the last four or five years, and then just recently I took a job as the educational coordinator at Woodridge Mental Hospital. It's a pretty crazy job. You know what I mean? And um, and uh, I'm working on to get my master's degree in counseling. So that's where I'm headed towards. Um, so uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my time in college. I went to Indiana Wesleyan, which is a, it's a Christian school. I'm a little north of Indianapolis. And it was a pretty Christian school. We did some pretty Christian school things, um, a.k.a. like our Friday nights. We spent, um, you know, volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club. But then Saturday nights is when it got real crazy, and we go to downtown Indianapolis and, you know, serve at the homeless shelter and things like that. And, our, you know, the girls baked lots of cookies, and we listened to a lot of Chris Tomlin, and it was pretty low-key. But there's a couple of crazy things that went down, and one of my favorite stories to tell about my time in college um, happened my junior year. Um, I was coming home from a night class, and I was walking through, my students, through the student center, and one of my roommates stopped me. I lived in the townhouse with six other guys. It was very smelly. And he stopped me, and he asked me a question. He said, uh, hey, how do you feel about ducks? 
Um, it's not a normal question to be asked. If that's something people ask you a lot, a question the people you hang around. He's like, how do you feel about ducks? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't like them. I don't hate them. They're, they're just ducks, man. He's like, good, because we've got some. Say what? And so, sure enough, I go I go back to our apartment, and, and in, in the back room, there's this box with three little baby ducks. And so I'm standing there with my other roommate who was there too, and we're like, what? Why? He he drove two hours away to the nearest pet store, if that tells you anything about the area in which I went to school. Two hours away to the nearest pet store to buy baby ducks. And we're like, why in the world? What would compel a 20-year-old dude to drive two hours away to buy a little baby duck? And as we're sitting here trying to figure this out, there's a knock on the door. My roommate goes and answers it. He opens up, and there are three girls standing there who we have never seen in our lives. And they're like, hey, I heard this is where the, the ducks were. And at that moment, we were like, oh, 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 now we get it. Now, my roommate, my other roommate, he was much cooler than me. And so he was, he was standing there. He was the one to open the door, and he started going, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, he's vomiting in front of them. And I noticed what's going on. It's a 100% true story, I promise I noticed what's going on. I'm in the other room, and I'm like, yes, ducks are over here. These are my ducks. You guys are more than welcome to come and check them out, like, to hang out with me and, you know, my, my baby ducks I've got. And so they come over, you know, they, like, push me to the side, and they start playing with the ducks. And me and my roommate, we're like, I'm doing this, like, do you know them? He's like, no, do you? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And we're sitting here trying to wrap our minds around what's going on. And as we're doing this, it's 100% true. There's another knock on the door. I go, and I open it, and there's... More girls there I've never seen before in my life. Like, there's only, there were about 3,200 people that go to this school. It's not that big of a school. As a junior, you've pretty much seen everybody. Never seen them ever. They're like, hey, I heard this is where the ducks are. And we were like, yes, this is where the ducks are. Townhouse 407, we got the ducks. Come on in. For literally the next couple weeks, every night that I would come home from work or studying or whatever, there would be girls playing with ducks in our back room. And I was... We were like, we have found the secret to life. We have got it. We, we win. Um, it was incredible. Incredible. Um, but that's not the part of the story that I really wanted you to hear. Here's the part of the story I love. Is after a while, um, well, ducks are good for three things, first of all. Uh, they're good for um, attracting females. Check. Um, they're good for pooping. And they're good for making little chirpy noises. And the problem is, uh, when they're little baby ducks, they make little baby poops and little baby chirps. But as they get bigger, they make bigger poops and bigger chirps. And the poops, they're not just bigger, they're like constant. Like if you've ever seen, like they're eating and pooping at the same time. Like it's just like a cycle going on. They're disgusting. You, anybody ever had a bird or a duck? Or you know, you hear, they're disgusting things. And so we had to have a townhouse meeting and we were like, guys, I know these ducks have been great for us, but we got to get rid of these things. Like, they are just too much. And we all, like, unanimously decided we got to get rid of these ducks. Like, they got to go. Um, we got a call. I was there for this. I was, oh, man, this is so true. It's awesome. I was there for this. My roommate got a call from our buddy Blake. Blake lived next door. Blake was that guy who kind of very loudly said weird things at weird times, and you never really, you never really felt comfortable with Blake around, but at the same time, you loved him, and he was like, he was our Blake, you know? And so Blake calls, and he's like, guys. I got this girl. She said she would hang out with me tonight, but I need to borrow the ducks. And we we're like, dude, who is it? And he told us who it was, and we we're like, nice. Problem, we got rid of the ducks today. We don't have any ducks. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I got to have the ducks. And we're like, dude, we don't have ducks. We just got rid of, like, we literally just took them to the park earlier today. And 
we didn't have the ducks for Blake that day. And unfortunately for Blake, that's pretty much all he had going for him at the time, I guess, because he called up the homegirl and he was like, hey, I don't have the ducks, but you know, like if you want to hang out with me and go get like ice cream, she was like, no thanks. He didn't get that date that night. And this is so crazy. A few weeks later, that same girl starts dating his roommate and best friend. And about a year and a half ago, they got married and they're living happily ever after. Blake, I, I don't know. I, I honestly can't tell you. Blake, you're watching. I'm sorry. Um, he's probably rocking and rolling it on his own now. I, I'm not sure. Crazy story. Um, I promise there's a point. <laughs> Believe it or not. This is a story that I like to use a lot of times when I'm doing devotions for kids. I'm um, especially like my, my like fourth and fifth and sixth graders who like, they kind of like girls, but they kind of don't. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, you've got cooties, but I kind of like those cooties, and I don't know. And so that whenever you talk about, hey, you can use ducks to pick up chicks, they're like, ah, that's so funny. And so I love to talk to them about this. And usually the devotion goes something like this, and you've probably heard something like this in, in your past. It goes, in that moment, Blake needed us, and we let him down. We let him down. He needed the ducks, and we let him down. We didn't have the ducks for him. Um, in the same way, people will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your family will let you down. People you care about are going to let you down. But there's one person who will never let you down, and that person is whom? Yeah, Jesus will never let you down. I love that you've heard something like that before. People will let you down, but Jesus never will. And I think that there's truth to that. I think there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, if we look through Scripture, we see, look at the Old Testament prophets and all the times when God proves himself faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. Look at what he does in the New Testament. He's faithful and he's faithful and he's faithful. Um, there's a really cool um, section of verses, Matthew 6, um, Matthew 7, where um, he's, Jesus is talking and he's saying, um, You as fathers, um, who of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would give him snakes? If you as earthly fathers can give good gifts, how much more can the heavenly perfect father give good gifts? It's this idea, I just imagine Jesus is like, hey, fathers, you guys are so terrible at your job so much. Like, you guys, you guys are pretty lousy a lot of the time. But you still know not to give your kid a snake. Like, duh, you can do that. If you can figure that out, then surely the heavenly father can give good gifts. I mean, there's so much of this about how good of a gift giver God is and how he will not let us down and how he's faithful. And that is true. And, and I want us to recognize that first and foremost, that God is faithful. Um, he is very, very faithful. Don't, don't leave here thinking that he's not. But the problem is, I think when we talk about what that looks like, a lot of times we get a skewed view of what the faithfulness of God looks like because it's really, really easy for us to sit here and talk about how God will never let us down when we're standing in a really nice church with, you know, our beautiful wife and our three healthy kids and we've got a nice job to go to tomorrow that we're going to get to in our nice car. And we know we at, at home we've got closets stocked full of clothes and we've got cabinets stocked full of food. And everybody's pretty healthy and happy and we've got great friends and things are going really, really well. It's really easy in that moment to talk about how good God is. It's really easy in that moment to talk about how his gifts are so wonderful and he's so great and, oh, we'll just surrender all to you, God. And it's really easy in that moment to do that. The problem is, we have a much harder time responding when things aren't always going so well. And it sure feels like God did let us down. I mean, when you walk into work one day and out of nowhere, your boss says, hey, sorry, we had to make some cuts. You're no longer employed here. We're like, oh, 
oh, wait a minute, God, like, I thought you weren't supposed to let me down. I thought you were supposed to give me good gifts. What, what's going on here? Hello, wake up. What about me? Or, or that, that moment when you go in for your checkup at the doctor and they say, hey, sorry, um, you've got cancer. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've got three kids. Like, I can't have cancer right now. This is like, God, hello. I thought you gave good gifts. I thought you were faithful. I thought you weren't going to let me down. Or even worse, when you, when you go in and you find out your kid has cancer. Like, how do you respond to that? A loss of a child. Like, what, what, do you do, what do you do when your parents, who have been your rocks your whole life, come to you when you're 30 years old and they tell you, hey, um, we're going to get a divorce. And your whole world just kind of crashes down around you. What do you do in that moment? Like, in those moments when it sure feels like God let us down, how do we respond? Because our whole lives we've been hearing these little cute devotions of how people will let us down, but God never will. So how do we respond in those moments when it sure feels like God let us down? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. This is a message that's really, really special to me. Um, I love it. But I'll be honest with you up front. I don't have all the answers. I don't. Um, I've, been just, I've been combing through Scripture as hard as possible over the last about year and a half, trying to figure out all the answers to these hard questions and and I think that I've come away with more questions than I have answers. I don't have all the answers for you about some of these tough things. But I do think that God gives us some truths and some tools within Scripture to help us face those moments, to help us face those trials, and to face those times when it sure feels like God let us down. That's what I'm wanting to talk about. You with me? Jazz up? You good? All right, well then, um, if you would please, do something that really freaked me out a little bit when I first came here, and celebrate with me. As we open, um, as we open Scripture to 2 Kings 6. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, if you're visiting with us, this is something that we do. I don't know. Um, you'll get used to it. It's fine. You may even give a woohoo eventually. Um, I'll, as you're turning there, we're 2, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to give you a little bit of background of what we're looking at. Um, we're talking about Elisha. And, and the Israelites at this point, they're... They're at war with the king of Aram. And what's going on is the king of Aram, he's trying to do these little sneak attacks on them. And God keeps telling Elisha, the prophet, about what's going on. And so he'll like tell the king of Israel, he's like, hey, they're going to be coming over here so that we keep foiling their plans. And the king of Aram finds out what's going on. And he's like, okay, we got to get rid of this prophet Elisha because he's spoiling all of our plans. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 13. Um, verse 13, it says, go find out where he is, the king ordered. So I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I love his response. So what you have here is you have Elisha's servant. You know, he wakes up early in the morning. He comes out to do his little, you know, get his coffee and do his morning routine. He looks up and he's like, oh, no. We are surrounded by what's called a great force. There's horses. There's chariots. They have us surrounded. We are doomed. I would imagine in that moment, it sure feels like God had let them down. I would say in that moment to that servant, it sure felt pretty bad. I mean, God is a God that's supposed to be giving us good gifts, right? I mean, our verse said, the verse earlier said, um, what kind of a father would give you a stone if you asked for bread? And he's probably in that moment thinking, wow, God just laid a big stone right in my lap, right? Here's Elisha's response. So cool. 
Elisha responds. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So cool. Um, It goes on to talk about one of those really cool Old Testament stories where God saves them in a miraculous way. And we'll talk about it later. But I really want to zoom in on the servant and look at what's going on with the servant in this moment. He comes out. They're surrounded by an army. He's got to be thinking in that moment, God just gave me a rock. He told me he was supposed to give me bread. He told me that if I'm faithful, good things have to happen. But now he just landed a rock. And it's like he just threw it right in my lap and just dropped it right in front of me. And he said, here you go. Um, here's the end of the road for you. You're no, there's no way you're going to make it out of this. He's got to be thinking, this is not the God that I was taught about. This is not the God that's supposed to not let me down. This is really bad. De- this is a bad deal. And Elisha didn't pray, God, take the horses away. He didn't pray, God, take the army and make them leave or disappear. He said, God, please open my servant's eyes so he can see what else is going on. And he opens the servant's eyes, and all of a sudden the servant stops looking at the army and starts to realize what God is doing in that moment. And this is really cool because I think for us, a lot of times when we're in those moments where it's like God just laid a stone in our lap, it sure feels like a stone, it sure feels like he let us down, we get so sucked in on that stone and we get so focused on that trial that we take our eyes off of God. We lose our perspective. We start to focus in on that army that's surrounding us. And then that's when we start saying things like, um, God, where are you? Where did you go? Hello, God, where, where are you? You been there? Guilty. Because we lost sight of God and we started looking at the stone instead. And in that moment, the prayer of Elisha was God, was God open his eyes so that, not that, he will, not that the trial is going to go away, but that his perspective will change and he can see what you're doing in the midst of it. That he can see that you're here. That was the prayer. And I think a lot of times for us, what we have to do is when we're in those trial moments, we've got to focus on getting our eyes off of the trial and back onto the Lord. Our perspective has to change. Our perspective has to be one of eternal-centered, God-centered, and not focused on our trial. Make sense? You with me? God is always there. He's there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The, it's, the valley is still dark, and it's still gloomy, and it's still scary, and it's still painful, and we may not like it, but he's still there. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that one down. God is always there. Like he's going to be there with us. And I think that our perspective, if we can get our perspective off of that trial that's sitting right in front of us and back up to God, I think that's super helpful. Right? Here's the other thing that I think is super helpful in that moment. God being there with us is a big deal. God is not just some dude who you can share your problems with. He's not just some feeble guy who's just, hey, I'm going to follow you around if that's okay. Like, he's the king of the universe, and he's all-powerful. So not only is he all there, he's all-powerful. And that's, a, that's pretty cool. Um, I will probably find a way to sneak this into every sermon that I will ever preach for the rest of my life, because I think it's just that powerful. It's, it's meant that much to me. Um, it's Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, and if you start in verse 1, if you want to turn there, it's fine. Then Isaiah 6, it's, that, it's that, there's that section of verses that talks about um, God in heaven. And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, for the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of those who spoke, the foundations of the thresholds began to shake, and the, and the, the whole room was filled with smoke. And I cried out, Woe is me. It's this beautiful picture of this bigness and the grandeur and the majesty and the power of God. He's seated on a throne. He's got angels flying around, smoke filling the room. Things are shaking. I mean, his, his, the train of his robe fills the entire temple. This is a big God that is with us. He's not just with us. He's a big God that's with us. He's completely powerful. Completely powerful. I think the, the, the other part about this that I really love is if you look at how this story in Isaiah fits into history, King Uzziah was a good king. Like he was a, actually a pretty good king. In fact, he was so good, it got, him, it got him in trouble. He started to try and take over the job of the priest. And he started trying to, to do the things that God had told the priest to do. And God was like, no, 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 that's not your job. That's the priest's job. And he continued to do it, and essentially God kills him for it. God takes King Uzziah away from them. And I just imagine that moment, like, Isaiah has to be like, God, what are you doing? This is a terrible plan. I and mean, keep in mind, in that time, when you lose a king, that's a bad deal, man. That's when people come in, they're going to start attacking you. That's when you get enslaved. Like, losing a king is not good. And Isaiah's got to be thinking, God, he was a good king. You, what are you doing? This, this is such a stone. I thought you were supposed to give us bread. I thought you were supposed to be there for us. And you're letting us down, man. And in that moment, what does Isaiah see? He doesn't see the stone. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that God gave me a stone, Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, where was God? In the midst of that turmoil and chaos and trial, where was he? He was on the throne. Like, you know what a king's doing while he's on the throne? He's in charge. He's ruling. He's, he's, not, he's not surprised. He's on the throne. He's powerful. I think those are two really big things for us when we're walking through trials is to remember, number one, even though it may not feel like it, God's there. He's there. He's powerful. So I, mean, I wonder, like, wonder what God feels like when we're like, hey, God, like, what are you doing? I lost my job, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hello, king of the universe. I got this. Not a big deal. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. But like, my financial situation is so bad, and the church is asking me to tithe. And, what? and he's like, not a, seriously, not a big deal. King of the universe. I created the idea of money. It's okay. I, was like, I think so many times we minimize God. The truth is, like, he's powerful. He's there with us. Isn't that cool? Amen? Like, that's cool. So these are two really good things I think we can hold on to when we're standing in the midst of trial, when we're standing in the midst of a stone in our lives. Remember, you know what? God's there. Get our perspective right. Remember that He's there. Not only is He there, He's powerful. Right? This is where things really take a nosedive, though, for me. Um, if I can be really honest with you all for a second, um, I've never one time in my life doubted the presence of God. I've never one time in my life doubted the power of God. I told you earlier, I grew up in the church. I knew all the answers. I knew all the verses. I know how powerful God is. I know He's there. But it's almost like those things work against me sometimes. Um, about a year and a half ago, I guess, um, I thought I was going to be getting married, and then God took that away and um, kind of replaced it with like, depression and anxiety, and it was just a bad deal. And I was like, God, like, I don't like what you've done here. This sure feels like a stone. And I didn't like it, but I knew the answers. I, I knew all the verses in here that talk about, hey, 
you know what? Ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. I mean, that's all over this place. And so I was like, okay, I, I know what to do. It's okay. I'm just going to serve you and serve you well. And I'm going to pray really hard and you're going to make it all better. And so I started doing it. I started serving like crazy, just really, really focused in on the Lord. I started praying just like deep, deep prayers. And the problem was things weren't getting better. In fact, things were getting worse. My depression started to get deeper and deeper. The pain and things that had happened started to get worse and worse. And I know how powerful God is. And I know He's there. Which to me, I'm saying, God, I know you can take this stone away from me. Why don't you just do it? The fact that He is so powerful almost made it worse. Because that means He could take it away, but He was choosing not to. And I didn't like that. I hated that. What kind of a father just stands there with his arms crossed while his child is suffering. If he could fix it, why wouldn't he fix it? I hated that thought. Um, it, was like, it was like these truths were working against me. I wish he wasn't powerful enough because then at least he'd have an excuse as to why he wasn't helping me out. You can, you can fix this, God, but you're not. I don't like that. I, I remember very, very clearly um, one night, I was in my apartment, I was in the shower, and um, I don't cuss towards people, but I cuss towards God sometimes. And I was very, very angry with him. I was not having it. And I just remember like, yelling in my shower, like, God, like, if this is the kind of God that you are, the kind of God that could help me but chooses not to, like, I'm done. I'm done with it. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. If you're not going to take away this pain, I'm going to find something that will. I, and that was really the beginning of a very low point for me in my life where um, I think it was in that moment that I really understood alcoholism. Like I understood it. I understood why people go to it. I understood things like cutting. I even understood things like suicide, things that my kids at Woodridge come in with all the time. Like I got it because that pain is so deep and that pain is so, it, it just takes over your soul. And it, I remember telling him, I was like, God, if you're not going to take this away, like I'm going to find something that will. And it was just, it was just, I was so hurt by the fact that God could take this away, but he's not. And so I want to kind of finish all of this by focusing in on that side of things. I want to focus in on those of you who would say, you know what, I feel like God's given me a stone, but worse, I feel like he's left it there and he's not taking it away. How do you respond when not only does God give you a stone, but he chooses to leave it there? How do we respond to that? That's hard. That's a really tough one. I think there's a couple things that we have to hold on to in those moments. First of all, you have to hold on to the fact that godly pain still hurts. Godly pain still hurts. I, I'm immersed in the world of mental health at this point. Um, where I work at Woodridge. I see everything all the time. And I think that there's such a stigma out there, especially from our Christian culture, that says, basically, you should have so much faith in God that nothing ever bothers you ever. Um, it, you, should, you should be one of those people that, like, as bad things are happening in your life, you should just be like, oh, I don't even care because I just love God so much and it's no big deal. Who cares? I, I, always, I, think, of, I think about Monty Python, the Holy Girl. I'm using a Monty Python reference. Let's go. Uh, you know, if, uh, maybe some of that. You know the part where the, with the Black Knight where he's guarding the um, bridge and he fights King Arthur and King Arthur, like, cuts his arm off and, like, kind of a fake arm comes off and a little fake blood squirts out. And he's like, oh, it's merely a flesh wound. And he's fighting, he loses the other arm and then he cuts his legs off and he's literally sitting there with, like, no legs, no arms. He's like, come back here. I'll bite your kneecaps off. He's like, what are you going to do? Bleed on me? Like, you know what I'm talking about? I feel like that's almost the picture that we feel like we should be as Christians. I've been there. Where we feel guilty for, being pain, for feeling pain. We're like, wait, my faith should be so, so grounded in Christ that this shouldn't bother me. 
Why is this bothering me so much? Why does this hurt so much? And we, don't, we put a mask and we pretend like it doesn't. We get really good at showing up to church every week, dressing nice and putting on the fake smiles. And we're so good at this. We're so good at the good, how are you answer. I got really excited when I was younger, when I was finally got the courage to say that to people. It was a big deal for me. People would be like, how are you doing? I'd be like, I am good. How are you? Awesome. But that's the way we do things. We, we mask all of this stuff. Guys, godly pain still hurts. Look at Jesus. When Jesus found out Lazarus had died, he felt it. He was pained by it. He wept over it. Even when you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to be crucified, like he was not happy in that moment. He was really hurting. He was sweating blood. I mean, he was really, really pained by that. And if Jesus was pained, and you better believe we're going to be pained. Godly pain still hurts, and it's okay. And I think it's so important for us as the body, as the church, to be okay with not being okay. And to go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, listen, I'm not doing well. Hey, listen, I'm struggling. When someone asks me, how are you doing? I think we need to get to the point to where we can say, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not real happy with God right now. I'm at a really low point. I'm struggling, man. That's what the church is here for. And we've got to get to that place of authenticity where we can be okay with not being okay. I think that's a huge piece for us. Our small groups are awesome for that. Small groups is an awesome outlet to be not okay. So godly pain still hurts. But here's the last thing, and I think this is huge. This is huge. When it comes to God giving us a stone and leaving it there, here's something we have to remember. We may not like it. We may not get it, and it may not get better, but it's worth it. That's what we have to cling to. We may not like it. We may not get it. And it may not go away, but it's worth it. I think Psalms 46.10 is awesome for this. Um, Psalm 46.10, it says, um, um, be still and know that I'm God. One of the coolest things I've ever been taught in my life it came from a, a youth pastor friend of mine from Colonial Heights. He, he's, he told me one day, he said, look at that verse. He said, notice it doesn't say be still and feel that I'm God. It says be still and know that I'm God. Because sometimes we don't really feel good about God. Sometimes God doesn't feel good to us. Sometimes it feels like he let us down. Sometimes it feels like he messed up. But in those moments, I think we have to cling to what we know to be true, not what we're feeling. In those moments, we have to hold, hold tight to the promises that he gives us. That even though it may not feel good, we know that he is good. Even though he may not feel faithful, we know that he is faithful. And this is where we also need to make sure that we're, we're presenting the right form of Jesus to people because for so long we've presented this form of Jesus that fits up with the American dream. And we've said Jesus will always make everything better. And even if you're going through bad times, don't worry, he's going to make it better. Let's be honest. If you've read this book, that's not true. It is, but not in the way that we mean it. There are lots of people in Scripture where they have a stone in their life and God never takes it away. Look at his disciples. His disciples are getting boiled to death and sawn in half and crucified upside down. He didn't make it all better for them in that moment. In fact, if you read through Hebrews and it talks about like the hall of faith and it talks about these, the people who are the, of the greatest faith, like the greatest people in all of the Bible, there's a verse in there that says, some of them found their reward here on earth. Many of them didn't. Many of them didn't see their reward until they got to heaven. 
I think, I think the truth of the matter is God does make it better, but he doesn't promise to do it in the way we want him to. He doesn't promise to make it all better here in this, on this earth. Here's what he does promise us, and these are awesome. He promises this. One, he promises that your faith can be proven through trials. How beautiful is it that your faith can be proven true? It's one thing to say, like, yeah, I have faith in God. It's another thing to go through a trial and realize, no, I really do have faith in God. When, I was, when he took everything away from me, I stayed true to him. How cool is that? Um, there's a verse in 1 Peter 1, 6 maybe. It says, um, it, it says, even though now for a little bit, if necessary, you must go through trials, stay with it. Because the proving of your faith is more precious than gold. The fact that you've been proven faithful is more precious than gold. That's a pretty cool deal. Two, and it kind of goes along with that, is he promises us treasures in heaven. Now, we get so focused in on our stone, and we get so focused in on this earth, and we get focused in on this life that we live here on earth, and we want God to make it better now. We want him to make it better here. But he says, I, I might, and he does, and he, he definitely can and does. But he says, I might not. I, you might not see it get better until you get to heaven. But how cool is it? Seriously, think about this. How cool is it to get to heaven one day and to look at the God of the universe and for him to look at you and say, Nathan, I gave you stone and you stayed faithful. Well done. Man, like that moment right there, I'd do, man, what would we do for that moment? I'd go through anything for that moment. How cool is that? He promises us that. Hold to that. Hold true to that. That is so cool. Here's the last thing. If we can get this, man, I think we're invincible. I don't think, I don't think the enemy can touch us if we can get this, truly. As he promises that he's going to be glorified. And isn't that ultimately what we're here for? Isn't that ultimately what all of this is about? Isn't that ultimately why we sing, why we come to church, why we claim Christianity at all? Is for God to be glorified? Isn't that why we're created in the first place? Isn't that why Jesus said... If you want to follow me, that's fine, but you've got to crucify yourself daily. He says, if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be my disciple. You can't be my follower. You've got to be willing to crucify yourself because it's not about you. It's about me. And, and the reality is, and it's so hard, this is so hard, but man, if we could get there, man, if I could get there, is that it's not about Nathan having nice relationships. It's not about Nathan having a nice family. It's not about Nathan having a nice job. It's not about Nathan having great health or great things or a comfortable lifestyle. It's not about that at all. In fact, it's not about Nathan at all. It's about God. It's about the Lord. And I feel like he's almost saying, guys, it's about me. And if your pain ends up bringing me glory, it should be worth it. Hold to it because I promise you it's going to be worth it. That's what he's saying. Your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. And that is awesome. Hold to that. Um, we're, we're called the fragrance and the aroma of Christ to the world. You know how fragrance and aroma happens? You take something very precious and you crush it. It's like he's saying, hey, my crushing of you is going to release a fragrance that's way far better and greater than anything that you could have ever been on your own. So hold to me in this moment. Can God make it all better? Yes. Does he? Yes. Does he answer, does he answer prayers of healing? Yes. Does he have to? No. He doesn't owe us anything. I was, I was counseling um, one of my old students um, who had gone through a really tough breakup. She was having a hard time with it, so she came to me for some counseling. And she said, basically, the thing that people keep telling me is that 
God's got someone so much better for me out there. And she was basically looking to me for validation. She was like, is that true? And in that moment, I had to be really, really honest with her and say something that we don't usually say. I said, I'm going to be honest with you, Tosh. I don't know. I don't know. He might, but he never, but he doesn't owe you that. He doesn't owe you a nice family. He doesn't owe you perfect health. We can pray for it. We can believe in it. He doesn't owe us that. But what he does promise you is that whatever trial it is that you're going through is worth it. And he's going to be glorified. Isn't that cool? So um, just a quick rehash. Things to hold on to. If it feels like God's giving you a rock, giving you a stone instead of bread. One, he's there. He's there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, he is there with me. Two, he is powerful. He can fix it. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. High and lifted up, seated on a throne. Angels are singing his praises. And then in those moments where that rock doesn't just go away like we want it to, remember this. One, godly pain still hurts. It still hurts. And it's important for you in those moments to go seek help. Find your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be okay with not being okay. But two, and this is so big, remember that there's purpose to the pain. Is God faithful? Absolutely, 100% yes. Does it always look the way that we want it to look? No. But He's totally faithful, and He promises us that it will be worth it. He promises us that He's going to be glorified. He promises us um, that we will see our reward, maybe here on earth, maybe in heaven. But it's totally worth it. You with me? Cool? Peace. Um, Joey, if you, you guys want to come on up. Where, where does that leave us? I, I think it leaves us in um, a couple of different places depending on where we are. One, maybe you're one of those people who you've gone through a pretty deep trial and God was like showed you healing and got you through that. And in the moment, you were like, you were praising the Lord and you were super excited about it. But maybe like it, that's kind of died down a little bit. Can I challenge you and encourage you to go to your grave singing the praises of God for the way that he miraculously came through in your life? I mean, I mean, preach it out to the world till they're annoyed by it. Let us hear it. Let those praises ring. Um, renew the fire of praise to the Lord in that. Um, because that's something the world needs to hear. That's something the rest of us need to hear is the encouragement of when God was faithful in your life. Don't let that become an afterthought. Preach that. Um, the second thing is I think maybe our perspective needs to change sometimes. Maybe our perspective, if you're so sucked in on this rock, you can't really see what God's doing or what he wants to do with you. And maybe your prayers need to be less of, God, this, this rock, this rock, this rock, and more of, God, I know I've got this rock in my life, and I really don't like it, but what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How can I serve? How can I be used by you? How can I fall in love with you and not be distracted and let this rock become a stumbling block that keeps you from becoming everything you need to be? And the third thing and the last thing, and man, this is hard. This is so hard. But maybe our prayers need to look a little bit differently where instead of spending all of our time praying that this rock be taken away from us, maybe it should be more of, God, I really want this rock to be taken away from me. But if not, how can you use this so that you'll be glorified? Look at the prayer of Jesus in the garden. He said, God, please take this cup away from me. That's not bad. It's not wrong to pray that your rock be taken away from me. He says, let the desires of your heart be known to me. Jesus says, God, take this cup from me. But if not, but if not, if that's not your will, if you've got something else out there, then I'm, I'll drink it. And may you be glorified by it. For us, God, take this stone away from me. But if not, how can I use it to bring you glory?
God, take this cancer away from me. But if not, how can I use this cancer to glorify you? God, me and my wife have been trying to have kids forever, and you're not blessing us with that. God, we're praying for a kid, but if not, how can we use our stories for you to be glorified? God, my, my parents went through a divorce. I don't like it, but I, I wish that you would give me healing. But if not, how can, how can you use this to bring you glory? Because it's not about us, right? It's about him. God, thank you so much for um, who you are, for the fact that you are the God of the universe. You're all powerful. The angels are singing about you. And yet, at the same time, you care about me. You care about us. This fragile and weak and broken vessels that we are. God, you choose to be with us. You walk with us. God, forgive us for those moments that we lose sight of you. Forgive us for those moments of doubt where we forget about your promises. And help us to hold on to them. Help us to hold on to these promises in the good times and the bad. Help us to remember the facts and the truth that you give us in Scripture that talk about how good you are and how faithful you are. God, I pray for lives that are submitted to you, that are willing to walk through the trials, that give thanks when we face trials of various kinds because we know that these trials are producing endurance, they're producing goodness. And God, if it is your will that we be crushed, God, may our crushing be a fragrance that spreads you to the whole world. Just now, I pray. Amen.